0: C.S. Lewis said, Friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things that give value to survival. Please listen carefully. Welcome to the Male Learner Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Burke. On today's episode, we talk about men... And their friends. But before we begin, I want to give a little credit to some great resources that I found while researching for this episode. First, The Art of Manliness, their website and their podcast is very engaging. I recommend it highly. Also, E. Anthony Rotundo's book, American Manhood: Transforming in Masculinity from Revolution to Modern Error uh, gave us great insight into the history of male friendships, which we'll discuss on today's show. Also, thank you to New York Times. Uh, for some tremendous articles about male friendships and also psychology today that was very helpful in analyzing men and how and why they choose their friendships and the benefits of those friendships. On today's show, we're gonna look at the history of male friendship. Where did we start? and How do we get to the point that we are in our relationship with other men? Next, we'll invite an expert on. Well, I use that term very loosely. As Ralph Waldo Emerson said, it's one of the blessings of old friends that you can afford to be stupid with them. And I'm going to be stupid with one of my best friends, Craig Lafferty. In a reverse psychology approach, we convinced him that he was an expert, and then only in the dummy savant way that Craig Lafferty could, he stumbles upon some great conclusions about male friendships. It's amazing to hear. Also in the show, we'll talk about some of the linguistic barriers for males in their friendships and the male hierarchies that exist in groups of male friends. We hope you enjoy the show. Craig Lafferty, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kev. It is great to be here with my buddy. (laughs) And it's great to have you here. Uh, as you know, today's show is about males and their friends, uh, and I couldn't think of anyone uh, who's more of an expert than you on male friendships. Well, Kev, I don't know if expert is the right word, but... Well, why not? I mean, you're an expert. Uh, of anyone I know, uh-huh. you love being friends with people more than anyone I know. I, I, I People would say it's more annoying than being <laughs> friends with them,
1: Kev, like. I would agree
0: 100%. <laughs> uh, but you are the central friend of the group. I mean, you are the one that if I need information about one of our friends, I go to you, you know, c- kind of find out what the gossip the guy, is. Yeah. So you do you do hold the gossip, so the central friend. Uh I believe your drives home are full of phone calls every I, day. I
1: every I probably have four people that I call every single day no matter what and a rotation of probably about 12 to 15 people a week that get get a phone call. So you're not a radio guy. No, no. Um, I
0: Ironically, listen to podcasts when I'm not on the phone. <laughs> we well, can give this one a try. But, uh, so, the, so podcasts and friendship. so you, you're in the know, you love being a friend, you love having events. I mean, yes. Your, your favorite day of the year is? Fourth of July. And why? Because everybody's together at the beach. Okay, so you're with your friends. Yes. So you're the expert. <laughs> I, uh, well, I'll uh, now that uh, you say it, I guess Uncertified, right. unqualified, yeah. nothing to it except for experience. Yes. So yes. I think today, if we dedicate some time... We can start to maybe understand our friendship, and in understanding our friendship, start to talk about why, what male friendships are, I think is one big thing, and on top of that, why they're beneficial, um, and maybe how they could be even more beneficial to, to males' lives. Let's dig in and get deep. Whoa, Craig, slow down. Before we jump into things, I think we need to have some basic understanding of why is friendship valuable, and also... How did men's friendships evolve to where they are today? An Australian study proved that people with strong emotional friendships live 22% longer than those who don't have them. And women live longer than men. Is the hypermasculinity that the American society is teaching our males negatively impacting those strong emotional relationships that they could have with their peers. So let's understand the history of it. It will make a lot of sense once you kind of break apart a few key things. So we're going to put male friendships into three phases. Each of those phases have a significant historical moment that impacted how men relate to other men. So let's go back to what we'll call the beginning. And we're looking at ancient times. In ancient times, male friendships were defined as heroic. They were noble friendships, noble, more, more noble than marital love. Now, mainly, that was due to the inferior status at the time of women in society, but these friendships were important, they had depth, and they were heroic. Fast forward, quick history lesson, we're already in the 19th century, just after the Romantic period, and now at this time, the heroic friendships continue, but they're even more emotional. There's a deeper emotional connection that even allows males to be affectionate in language and in physicality with their male friends, holding hands with their male friends with normal, and even in some cases, sharing a bed for economic reasons was not uncommon. So now you have this even deeper emotional connection, and again, men still benefiting greatly from those relationships. So where did things go wrong? Those heroic friendships of the ancient times were beneficial to men, and the friendships of the 19th century were beneficial to men, and all of a sudden, at the turn of the century, psychologists started to analyze homosexuality. That, and the rise in industrialism, are two key factors that affected male-to-male friendships. Men became more self-conscious about their friendships. Ministers, politicians, decried homosexuality and as you have leaders in your society speaking out against something the self-conscious individuals uh, who are being judged in turn decrease those behaviors also with the industrial revolution and market economics your 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 male friend became a competitor now you're competing for careers for money for your for your livelihood so social darwinism changed the fellow man from a potential friend to competition. And with the improved technologies from the industrial era, leisure time increased. And when leisure time increased and those other factors were at play, male friendships began to evolve around activities, going hunting, going fishing, playing sports. And all of a sudden, the emotional bonds that were made through heroic relationships, whether they be through war times back in the ancient times or through affectionate relationships with males without any fear of judgment in the 19th century, those things were gone, and now the emotional bond was replaced by activities that bonded men together. That's an important point, which we'll get back to later in the podcast. And now we're back to the present. And I think it's important to understand those factors as we start to have this conversation to evaluate male friendships and how they can be more beneficial to men— And in turn, to the greater society. And now let's get back to our conversation with Craig Lafferty. Remember, we've convinced him that he's an expert. And now sit back and enjoy his cockamamie way as he stumbles upon some great observations about male friendships. In some research for this show, uh, I found a study published in uh, Men and Masculinities that said young men get more emotional satisfaction out of their friendships, which they're now terming bromances, uh, how bromances are defined are close heterosexual friendships with other males, but this the study said they get more emotional satisfaction out of those relationships than they do in their relationship with women, Um, according to the study. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I can
1: kind of understand it because when you're with your buddies your bros like you're excited you're laughing you're telling stupid jokes inside jokes whereas
0: with yeah but but craig let's stick to the phrase emotional satisfaction that that shocks me because i i don't think our friendship since we were 12 years old right we met we met on the beach at 12 years old i thought your name was greg greg for almost an entire year yeah That doesn't talk about emotional depth. Craig's next comment that men lack emotional depth is completely wrong. And I wanted to preface him so that we're clear that men have the emotional depth. It's their ability to be able to reach it, which seems to be the big hurdle.
1: Kevin, you brought up emotional depth. I don't think men are very deep. <laughs> That's true.
0: Like like I, uh, well okay. All right. So as an educator in an all-male school, I think men are very deep. I just think it's tough to get to that yes. point. Okay. So what so let's let's go back. Knowing what I know now about when we were 15, 14, whatever, 14, 15, 16 years old, there's more emotionally going on inside of young males at that age than at any age with a larger inability to express that emotion. Yeah. I think, and I think the way
1: boys and kids, you know, teenagers express that is busting stones, you know, making fun of each other, picking on each other, teasing kids, you know, getting laughs at the other one's expense.
0: What Craig's talking about here as far as busting stones is a typical communication pattern with men. Um, most men would recognize and accept that it exists. It's also, and we'll reference this later in the show, it's also sort of a one-upmanship that occurs uh, often in male communication. And the study of male relationships supports the idea of hierarchies existing within relationships. But that doesn't mean that the relationships can't have emotional depth. What matters for boys is as long as they understand the hierarchy, where they stand within a social relationship, emotional connection can still occur, even with the hierarchy being present. Okay. I still haven't touched on emotional depth. No, no. But let's take it a step further. What what was the majority of our time spent doing? Uh, Surfing, playing basketball, and
1: driving around trying to find places to skateboard. Okay, so... I still don't hear any
0: emotional depth yet.
1: No, yeah, you're right. It, was, it, it wasn't. It was... <laughs> Why
0: are we friends? I, Why are we friends? Because, because we have um, mutual interests. Okay, so... So I think that brought so, us together. Okay, so if at the age of 15, 16, 17 years old, I didn't like surfing, or I didn't like basketball, would we still be friends? I would like to think so, but I... I don't know. Okay. I can sense that my conversation with Craig's hitting a little bit of a lull right here. So let's go to some important studies that shed some light on our conversation. There was this great linguistic study done by Deborah Tannen in which she tried to evaluate the communication patterns of men and women. For the sake of our conversation, we're going to stick with the male conversation patterns. What she did was she put microphones on playgrounds and recorded how children communicated with each other, and then she also put uh, microphones in office buildings and recorded how adults communicate with each other. What she found about malcommunication is not shocking because most men know it exists, but it is important to explore and fully understand so we can better understand ourselves as men or we can better understand men, if we are females, who decided to get married to them or live with them or date them or work with them. We're all in this together to create better men. So what did Deborah Tannen find? She found that when men communicate, even as children, it's all about one-upmanship. For instance, a conversation between two boys on the playground might deal with how high the boys can throw a ball. One boy might say, I can throw the ball to the ceiling. The next boy can say, I throw the ball to the roof. The next boy would say, I can throw the ball to the sky, to the moon. It's all about one-upmanship. Take that to the office place where where men are having conversation with men, it might be about who's closer and more friendly with the boss. I play golf with him on the weekend, so therefore I am higher than you. Right? Hierarchical communication, hierarchical relationships. Keep this study in mind as we go back to my conversation with Craig because what he's about to share about the value of information within our circle of friends is really telling about the currency of our communications. All right, different direction, because I don't really know if I can get any clearances when it comes to emotions with you. How about this? Uh, do you sound like my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. Sorry, Jess, I don't, I'm trying not to. Can I ask this question? Is there a hierarchy to our friendships, our group of friends? Is there a hierarchy? Oh, 100%, yes. All right, explain that to
1: me. The best way I could explain, I'm not going to, say, who stands where. Oh, I need that. I want names. (laughs) But the best way I can explain how it works is through group text messages. Okay. So there's certain group text messages that will only have four other people on it. Others will have six. Others will have eight. And I think that kind of explains the hierarchy of friendship. It's like upper management, middle management. Exactly.
0: Uh, All right. Exactly. I think that's how it is. Information in our friendships, and probably in, in a lot of people's friendships, is power. So the ability for me to know before you. Um, I think we can both readily admit that sometimes we like to play that on each other, that 100%. I nerd something. I knew something before yes. you. I see that as hierarchy. Like, I'm more in the in crowd. I'm cooler and hipper than you, which is actually very much what the studies about male friendship show. You're married. You've been married for a year? A year, it was a year and, wow, a year and a half. Holy cow. A year cow. and a half. Almost going on two years. Fun wedding, by the way. Uh, thank you. It was awesome. <laughs> I would do it again every single day. I love you, Jessica. My dad had a great time. I know he, that. He, he, <laughs> Everyone knows your dad had a great time. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's talk about married life and, and uh, specifically your, your friendships in married life. Have your friendships changed since you've gotten married? Yes
1: hundred percent um you don't see your friends as much as you would like
0: to is which i i completely agree and i i understand i think it even um gets a little bit tougher when you have kids though you look at our friendship dynamics there have been new not new friendships but strengthening of friendships within our friends that are based on who has kids and how many kids and what kids and all that stuff so i see that that sort of happening and maybe parenting kind of opens that door a little bit. Um, How does that affect your, let's go back to that phrase that we used earlier, your emotional satisfaction, your emotional stability when your friendships with males have been altered? I'm unstable because of it. I'm unstable because of it. In the moment of that interview, that sentence did not stick out to me. But as I played back the tapes, I kept going back to that sentence. I'm unstable because of it. About a week ago, I stumbled upon this great episode of a podcast called The Hidden Brain. It was actually their latest episode and just released, and it was called The Lonely American Men. And it was so timely for me to hear it because it dealt exactly with the topic that we're talking about today. Is society suppressing male emotion so much that middle-aged men are losing the ability to make deep emotional connections with their peers. If you have any interest in the topic, I strongly recommend that you listen to it. The one stat that stuck out to me most is that the suicide rate is decreasing in all demographics over the last 10 years except for one, middle-aged men. Now, some sociologists and psychologists attribute finances to it, But the Hidden Brain uh, podcast actually debunked most of those hypotheses and said that there's something to male friendships that might be causing this trend. It's a scary trend. And I think podcasts like this one and articles and studies and the Hidden Brain podcast can hopefully start some conversations so that we can allow males to get in touch with those emotions more and make some deeper connections with their peers. Science has shown us that it's beneficial. Another interesting aspect of the history of male friendships is that the friendships are based on activities. Guys get together for something to do. Whereas women don't need that activity to unite them, guys' friendships are based on social activities. Fishing, hunting, sports. We get together and we do something, and it's actually the activity, not the emotions, that bond us. So what's the danger in that? I mean, an activity brings you together. I don't think there's much harm in that the activity is uniting us. I think the harm is in what's lacking at times in that relationship, which is the emotional connection. So let's turn to sports. I think the modern uh, activity that most men unite over, whether it's a round of golf or playing basketball together or and I think most cases, watching sports together. Recently, our beloved Philadelphia Eagles, as a native of a suburb of Philly, won the Super Bowl. And I couldn't help myself but be fascinated by the way so many people reacted with such a strong, emotional display in the aftermath of this victory. And it got me to wonder, what is it really about this Super Bowl that people are brought to tears, hugging, kissing, screaming, cheering, celebrating when a team wins a championship. And it's a personal conclusion that's only supported by my observations that I think sports is a good excuse for men to be emotional. Craig and I talked about this briefly, and to be honest with you, I think you could probably dedicate an entire podcast episode to why men are so fanatical about about sports. But here's my little exchange that I have with Craig to explain his reaction to the Super Bowl victory. We had a little bit of a a pre-interview to kind of get ready for one of the conversations. And this came up. And I know you went, you love the Eagles. I do. You wear Eagles gear. You went to the Eagles parade. I mean, parade is- you, after the Eagles win, you went on, I Broad, was on Street. Broad Street. Y- your wife pregnant, you dragged her onto Broad Street. I God bless her, got- she was a trooper. Okay. When you got to Broad Street, what did you do? Jumped up and down and sang the Eagles fight song. <laughs> so why were you that excited about an Eagles championship?
1: I because the- I think it was just a way to bring everyone together.
0: Again, like... Whereas our, whereas, surface. whereas the other gender seems to be able to do it with a cup of tea. Yeah. Last Saturday night, my wife and I went out with a couple whom we normally go to dinner with or, or for drinks. And we were at the bar having a conversation and the, this podcast episode topic came up. And my friend's wife was asking about What's the topic and what are you going to discuss? And I was explaining to her everything that we were talking about today. And my wife interjected and said, but it's kind of strange because you and the husband of the other couple have a deep emotional friendship. And I made eye contact with my friend. He looked at me, kind of having an understanding. And we attempted to explain to our wives that, Uh, I wouldn't call it a deep emotional connection. And our wives rebuttaled and and tried to justify and explain the reasons why our friendship had a deep emotional connection. Slowly, their rebuttal kind of uh, spawned off into a conversation on the side between the two of them. And I looked at my friend. We tapped beer glasses, and we turned back to the TV to watch the game. I want to thank my friend, Craig Lafferty, for being stupid with his old friend and sharing with us his thoughts about male friendships, because together we can create better husbands, better fathers, better sons, better friends, better men. The world surely needs it. episode of the Mal Learner Podcast, we're going to give you some bonus clips from the person that we interviewed. Today, we asked Craig the final four questions, which is sort of timely as we are in the midst of March Madness. So stay tuned for some bonus clips where Craig answers our final four questions. All right. Now, end things, You ready for the final four? Bring it on. It's March. Let's do it. Let's do it. Final four questions. Teach us a little something. Question number one. If you could recommend a book to a 16-year-old self, to you, Craig Lafferty at 16, what book would you recommend? All right, well, this book um, I probably read
1: five or six years ago by one of my favorite comedy writers, Justin Halpern. It's called I Suck at Girls. <laughs> yes. It was, felt <laughs> like it was an autobiography. I knew that, Craig Lafferty 16,
0: <laughs> and yes, that's true.
1: The reason, saying because when you're... 16 years old, and in high school, um, I was, I went to a huge high school, 2,500 kids, I was very unsure of myself coming, we went from a small Catholic grade school to a huge public high school, and you're totally caught up in how big everything is, and I was very unsure of myself and what was the message in the book the message in the book was don't take everything so it's not the end of the world you know you're 16 17 the ups and downs of everybody wants the you know to have the to be the cool kid have the beautiful girlfriend and the the book kind of looks back and laughs at how in the grand scheme of things it doesn't matter you're 16. You're in high school. Nobody knows what they're doing. You're not the only one. Ain't that the truth. Question two, what was your greatest educational experience? My greatest educational experience wasn't in the classroom. I never really was a straight-A guy. Um, But on my honeymoon, Jess and I went to South Africa for two weeks for our honeymoon. And that kind of made me realize how big the world is and how in the grand scheme of things, how little there's so much more in the world and how lucky we are. So that kinda really opened up it was the first time I had ever really been out of the country, you know, not counting Mexico Mm -hmm. or the Caribbean, but where you really get a get to see how lucky we are and how much we should be doing to help other people.
0: Question three, who is the greatest educator you have met? The greatest educator I have met. So this is going to be, when you say
1: educator, it makes me think a teacher. Not by profession, uh, just by role. So my dad is a terrible teacher. <laughs> terrible. But he is a good example. mm mm-hmm. So, that would probably be the greatest educator. He's taught me a lot more by showing me than by
0: teaching me or educating me. As an interviewer, and hopefully a good interviewer here, I'm now going to insert a 3A. Okay. Looking at your father as your greatest educator, what are you scared most about being a parent? Oh, that.
1: So, I've been doing some reading. Uh, Jess will send me some links to read. Mm-hmm. And something that's really scared me from reading it is in the first, you know, month or two that dads have a tough time connecting with the baby because you feel like you're helpless and you mm-hmm. can't do anything because they're attached to the mother who like can't leave their side. So that is probably like diapers, crying, not sleeping, whatever, you just you deal with it. The not connecting to the kid is probably my biggest fear.
0: You'll have 17 and a half years to figure out that connection. I think you'll be able to get it done. Yeah. Don't worry about those first six months. That's, that's what I've been reading, reading up on, though. They say that's the big thing that dads kind of deal with. All right. That's a little bit of a, of a marketing thing for an upcoming episode later this month about fathers' uh-huh. impact on their sons. Uh, last question of the final four. Teach us something. How can we create better men? Okay, so this I, this one could be could be long for me and
1: you'll probably enjoy my answer, but I think it starts with education in the classroom at school and the whole better men thing, like I'm just going to go off on a tangent now, but the treating people with respect, the the Me Too movement mm-hmm. going on right now, mm-hmm. I think men need to be taught not how to be good people, but... Oh man, I don't even know how to explain it.
0: I, I, and, I, and I'm going to try to insert something into the... Do men need to be taught that our role in society is different than maybe it was of our fathers and their fathers and their fathers and that the role has to have an openness to a different uh, landscape that the world is yes. about to begin?
1: Yes. I don't think... Like, I think a lot of men, whether it's in sports setting, a business setting, always assume that because they're a man, they should take on a leadership role, or this, she's a girl, which she can't talk about basketball,
0: she's mm-hmm. a girl, whereas that is just so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, And at the age of 15, 16, 17, I, because I work with them daily, you can see that, that just... They have the wrong impression. And, and, it, and it might even feed a little bit into that fear of astigmatism, right? That if I'm soft on something, right? Because I'm trying to be hierarchical, right? I'm trying mm-hmm. to establish myself. If I'm soft on something, then I'm not going to be high enough on that hierarchy. Yeah. And it goes back to the six-year-old self about, you know, being bad at girls. Like, if you just realize that maybe it's not as much of a big deal, You're going to be a lot better at it. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Uh, I appreciate our time together. I I do have two closing thoughts. One, uh, you are not an expert on friendships. Nope. Uh, Two, uh, I'm pretty sure our friendship's over. Yeah. Come on, Kev. Don't do that. We got nothing on. There's no no emotion, nothing. We got surfing and basketball. We'll
1: we'll, we'll talk offline and give hugs. We're hugging it out right now. We're hugging it out.
0: We are not hugging. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Kev. So, I, you know, I'm, kind of sitting back reflecting on our, on our conversation we've had here I, 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 go back to the first why did I bring you here because everybody said no everybody else <laughs> okay I got that and?
1: and I'm an expert at
0: friendships okay. I could, I, could <laughs> I think I could have found a guy on the corner that might have known more probably <laughs> <laughs>